Today's scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. If you are using the Bible's place at the pews, please turn to page 915. Verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. May God help us hear his word. Thanks, Li Ping, for reading scripture. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, one of the reasons why God redeems us is so that we may serve Him. Uh, this gathering is a testament to God's salvation, how He calls us to worship Him as His redeemed people. So I'd like to give this away to help us think about how we can worship Him as a corporate body in being present, in gathering, and singing praises to Him and hearing His word together. So this book, Corporate Worship, How the Church Gathers as God's People by Matt Merker. Excellent book. I'm, I'm reading it now. Almost done. A few chapters left. So... Come forward if you want to. Yep, Alan. <laughs> yep, excellent book. And there are more copies at the book table downstairs as well. Corporate Worship by Matt Merker. Well, beloved, let me pray for us and let's prepare our hearts as we come to his word. Dear Father, we thank you indeed for your truth. and We pray that you would open our hearts to your word, speak to us, help and strengthen us. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Do you hear the people sing? Singing the song of angry men. 
It is the music of the people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. You know, you may recognize this stanza of a famous song from the musical Les Miserables. This stirring song is a call to the masses to rise up and fight for their freedom. It has become so well known that it has been used worldwide as a protest song. It resonates with the human desire for freedom, for the promise of a new and better life. You know, friends, freedom is highly prized in the world. You know, countries are founded on the principle of freedom. You know, it, it is the first word in the national motto of France, liberty, equality, fraternity. And according to the United States Declaration of Independence, liberty is one of the three basic human rights, along with life and the pursuit of happiness. Freedom powerfully inspires, freedom motivates. Many are willing to sacrifice their lives to defend it. Many are willing to endure hardship to travel long distances in the hope of freedom. Some would rather perish than to not be free. Give me liberty or give me death became the war cry for the American Revolution. Uh, Some of you may know the state of New Hampshire in the US. The official state motto of New Hampshire is live free or die. (laughs) Many yearn for political and economic freedom or or even just the personal freedom to live life their way. Friends, what sort of freedom are we looking for? What does it mean to be truly free? Paul's letter to the Galatians has been called the Constitution of Christian Liberty. In in 2 verse 4, Paul begins to speak of the freedom that we have in Christ. As we heard from Joshua's sermon on Galatians 4 last week, Christians are free because we are children of God's promise, not children of the slave. So how then should we think about freedom? How then should we live as free people? Well, in chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians, the, there's a turn in the letter. Paul has dealt with the theological reasons for why we are free in Christ. And now in these two chapters, Paul gets to the practical details of how we are to live according to our gospel freedom. Uh, this is the big idea of our passage this morning. We live free in Christ by standing firm on what Christ has done, by watching out, I think you see the outline in the next slide. But number two, by watching out, don't be cut off from Christ. And number three, loving and serving in Christ. So this is what it means to live free, to stand firm, to watch out, and to love and to serve. So number one, stand firm on what Christ has done, looking at verse one of our passage. You know, Paul uses freedom as the motivation for how we should live. Paul says to us, we should be motivated to live free because of what Christ has accomplished for us. You know, the, the, the difference in the way Paul uses freedom and the motivation, as a motivation is that instead of saying to us, live in this way so that you, you can attain freedom, Paul says, live in this way because you already have freedom, because of what Christ has already done for you. So verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again 
to a yoke of slavery. Jesus has freed us from the law. As we've heard from Galatians these past number of weeks, the law imprisoned us with with, with its demands that we could not keep. God's law reveals His perfect holiness and righteousness. And because God made us in His image to glorify Him, the law, His law, requires perfect obedience from us. This is what it means for us to live as God's image bearers. And the law threatens judgment when we fail. We cannot escape the law's demands. But the good news of the gospel is that God has graciously sent His Son, who was born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus humbly and willingly submitted Himself to the law. By obeying all of God's commands, He lived the perfect life we should have lived. And Jesus' obedience led him to the cross. To die the death, we should have died. Jesus became a curse for us, bearing God's judgment in our place. And by living, by dying, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for us. And he has freed us from the impossible burden of having to keep the law to be saved. And in Christ, In Christ, we are forgiven. We are made right with God. And this being Reformation Sunday, so helpful that we remember that we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by our works. And this is is why Christ has set us free, for our freedom, for our freedom, that we might enjoy the liberty of being redeemed, from our bondage to the law, from our slavery to sin, and from the curse of death. Therefore, since Christ has already set us free, we have freedom, we should therefore stand firm and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Notice how Paul calls the law a yoke. It is a crushing burden that we cannot bear. And the reason why we can stand it's because Christ has removed the weight from us. Now, yet, yet the Galatians that Paul was writing to were at risk of returning to slavery. They were influenced by the false teachers, uh, the Judaizers who insisted on circumcision and keeping the law for salvation. And beloved, lest we become complacent ourselves, consider how tempting it is for us to base our identity, to base our sense of well-being to base our confidence, our assurance, our joy, peace on what we do rather than on what Christ has done. Now, beloved, what are we relying on in addition to Christ for our standing before God? Think about that. Is it how well your past week has gone? Is it how well you bring up your own children? Is it how often you are at church, how much you serve? Is it the Christian family that you come from? Oh, beloved, what are we relying on in addition to Christ for our standing with God? And do we feel better about ourselves because of our religious or moral performance? Or worse, do we look down on others because they don't live up to our standards? Like an addict who returns to his addiction because it makes him feel good, So we are recovering addicts. We are all recovering legalists 
who, who are constantly tempted to draw back to legalism. Why? Because it makes us feel good. Surprisingly, legalism makes us feel good about ourselves. Legalism appeals to our pride, our self-righteousness, and we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And we like to think that we can be good enough to somehow earn God's acceptance and approval. No, legalism appeals to our sense of accomplishment. Yes, we can do it. If we just try hard enough, we can please God. And we can boast of who we are and what we have achieved. We can boast of our resumes. We can boast of our credentials. We want to be in control of our destiny. That's the appeal of legalism. We want to be master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Our beloved, stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. Do not let anything draw us away from trusting in Jesus only. He has already set us free. So live free. Live free by standing firm on what Christ has done. Number two, watch out. Don't be cut off from Christ. Looking at verses 2 to 12. Well, we must stand firm because the gospel is at stake. Paul in these verses emphasizes to us how it is a matter of life or eternal life or death. You know, if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. You know, as, as Mark told, mentioned earlier, if, if we don't evangelize, we may cease to be evangelical. We don't speak the gospel. We don't hold on to the gospel. We may not. We may no longer believe the gospel. Now, the Galatians might not have realized the severity of the situation. You know, maybe they were wondering why Paul made such a big deal over the cutting away of a little bit of flesh. You know, perhaps we also don't realize that we undermine the gospel when we impose various standards, opinions, preferences convictions on ourselves as well as on others. You know, for example, we think a person cannot be a good Christian unless he or she has certain spiritual experiences, unless he or she is involved in various church activities, or we think this person can't be a good Christian because he or she doesn't talk a certain way, doesn't look a certain way, doesn't dress a certain way. Then we burden ourselves and we burden others with these expectations, we become critical, we become judgmental, we become proud and self-righteous, or we become discouraged when we fall short of these standards. Now, beloved, beware this drift, this drift towards legalism. When we set ourselves up in judgment over our brothers and sisters, so in verses 2 to 12, Paul sounds four warnings about the danger of adding to the gospel. And the gospel plus something equals nothing. No gospel at all. Paul says in verse 2, Look, I, Paul, you know, this is serious, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So warning number one, we lose Christ if we add anything to the gospel. You know, when we rely on our own works to make us right with God, we are actually saying 
Jesus is not enough. We are no longer trusting in Jesus but ourselves. And if we trust in ourselves, then why do we need a Savior? Why do we need Christ? Christ will be of no use to us. Now, why seek a Savior if we think we can keep the law ourselves? But can we? Can we keep the law ourselves? You know, this past week, uh, I watched with my, my family this documentary called Free Solo. I mean, some of you may have seen that. Uh, this documentary, Free Solo, uh, nothing to do with Han Solo, the Star Wars fans out there. Yeah, this documentary is about the climber Alex Hono, uh, who climbed the 1,000-meter-high vertical granite wall of the mountain El Capitan in the U.S. National Park, uh, Yosemite. You know, it's a massive vertical wall of rock, about 1,000 meters high. And, and Alex Hono climbed this. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is, this, this wall is hard enough to climb uh, with, with ropes and everything, but he climbed it without any rope. So that, that's what it means to free solo a climb. You climb basically with no safety rope. So he climbed this 1,000 meter high vertical wall without a safety rope. And you can imagine, as he's climbing this wall, you know, the, you know, it's a fascinating documentary, e even, the, even a small slip, just the smallest mistake, would send him plummeting to his death, certain death. You know, and, and I think that's a, bit of, that's a bit of a parable of what it means to keep all the law. Likewise, the law demands Perfection. The law demands perfect obedience. There is no margin for error. Why? Because God is perfectly holy, because He is perfectly righteous. He doesn't grade on a curve. He requires perfect obedience because He is worthy of perfect obedience. Uh, the law, His law demands perfection from us. And even if we disobey just one point, just one point, we would plummet to our death we would have failed to keep the law. It's all or nothing. That's how high the stakes are. Legalism, ironically, you know, sometimes, you th sometimes we think that legalists care a lot about the law, right? They make much of the law. But I put it to us that legalism, ironically, makes less of God's law. Why? Because legalism domesticates its demands. Legalism reduces the law to something we can do. Legalism actually thinks less of God's holiness, His righteousness, and His law. Because legalism assumes that we can do it, that His standards are like ours, and we can keep His standards. So Paul reminds us of what the law truly requires of us. He says in verse 3 and 4, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you want to be circumcised, then you need to go all the way. Not just obey the point of circumcision, but obey the whole law. You need to climb this mountain free solo. Right? It all depends on you. One slip and you die. And that, that's, Paul's, that's Paul's message to the Galatians. So if we insist on trusting even just the least bit on our works, Paul says to us, then you need to go all the way. You can't trust in Jesus 99% and trust 1% in your works. No, it's all of Christ or all of your works. You can't have your cake and eat it. He says in verse 4, 
you, know, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And the problem with depending on works is that no one, no one can keep the whole law. And the law is not a buffet where you pick and choose what you like. No, Paul says you need to have the whole thing. You either obey the whole thing or you don't. So to add to the gospel, to, to try to rely even the least bit on our own merit or our, or our own works is to sell ourselves back into slavery to the law. You know, we, we cannot have it both ways. Faith. Faith and works don't mix. That's why Paul says in no uncertain terms, we are cut off from Christ. We fall away from grace. So these are very strong warnings. Very, very strong warnings. Without the blessing of Jesus, we face only the curse of the law. But the gospel says to us, we don't have to try to be good enough for God because Jesus is good and he is enough. And Paul says to the Galatians, Christ, and he says to us, Christ must be all to us. He must be all to us, all or nothing. Is he all to you? Is Jesus all to you? Are you trusting in him alone? for your standing with God. Warning number two, a gospel of faith plus works is false and not from God. Look at verses seven to eight. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. you know, imagine you're running a race. You know, this is the illustration that Paul uses. You're running well, you're ahead. Then someone cuts into your lane causing you to trip and fall. And then you're, you're unable to finish the race as a result. So in the same way, a, a false gospel cuts in. A false gospel hinders us, causing us to stumble and to disobey God's truth. You know, God had graciously called the Galatians to himself. Any false gospel, Paul says, is not from him. What you're hearing, Paul says to these Galatians, what you're hearing from these false teachers does not come from God. So don't listen to the false teaching. And it says the false teachers are troubling the Galatians, verse 10. They are unsettling them. Right? Troubling and unsettling. You know, so beware, if we add to the gospel, then we are opposing God himself. And we are harming his people. And God who is jealous for his own glory and God who is jealous for the good of his people will not leave us uh, undealt with. In warning number three, a false gospel left unchecked corrupts everything. Look at verse nine. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Like a deadly virus or cancer, a false gospel will spread and harm the whole church. In fact, we read in Galatians that this has already happened. You recall earlier on in Galatians in chapter 2, when Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles, what happened? The rest of the Jews, including Barnabas, were led astray by, they were led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. You know, Paul presses the Galatians to take immediate action because doing nothing is not an option. You know, this gospel will spread, this false gospel will spread and corrupt the whole body of Christ. 
doing nothing is not an option. Now, beloved, I hope we realize that as fellow members of Grace Baptist Church, we are responsible for guarding the gospel. You notice how in Galatians, Paul doesn't write just to the leaders of the Galatian churches, but who does he write to? He writes to all the Christians, not just the elders, not just the, those on staff. No, he writes to all the believers. Why? Because all of God's people, all of us, as fellow members of this local church, we all share in the responsibility to guard the gospel. Right? That's our shared responsibility. We all have to take action if the gospel is in danger of being lost. I think it's really tragic that oftentimes in churches, Christians quarrel over opinions, we quarrel over preferences, but we say and do nothing when the gospel is at stake. That's so tragic. Uh, beloved, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's put aside our different opinions and preferences and let's focus on really guarding the gospel together. That's what matters. That's, what most, that's what's most precious. So put aside our petty differences and let's think about coming together and guarding the gospel. That's what God calls us to. That's what it means to be united in the gospel. Not to fight over opinions, not to fight over preferences, but to guard the gospel. And that's what Paul is urging these Galatians to do. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Warning number four, God will judge false teachers. Look at verse 10, second half of verse 10. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. I think interestingly in this verse, Paul switches to the singular. You know, he will bear the penalty. Uh, you know, perhaps he's emphasizing how God will deal with every single false teacher. No one will escape his judgment. You know, verse 12 contains some of the strongest language Paul uses in all of his letters. You know, it might even sound crass to our ears, right? He says in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, castrate themselves. You know, since the false teachers insisted on cutting off a little bit of flesh, Paul says they should just go all the way. They should just cut the whole thing off. You know, that, that's how strong the language is using. You, know, you want to cut off a bit, cut off more. Cut everything off. You know, what's he saying there? He's saying you know, if they insist on cutting off just a little bit of flesh, they should be completely cut off. You know, maybe he's referencing the Old Testament that says a eunuch shall not enter into God's people. It's part of the Old Testament law. Maybe he's referencing that. Basically what he's saying is that if you insist on cutting off a little bit of flesh, you will be cut off from God's people. You know, this is a solemn warning. You know, strong language in verse 12. If we add to the gospel just a little bit, just a little bit, and then we insist that others do the same, you know, Paul says we will be cut off from God's people. If we add to the gospel or we believe a false gospel, we will be cut off from Christ. We will be cut off from God. We will be cut off from God's people. So four very strong warnings, but also three encouragements in these verses. Four warnings, three encouragements. Encouragement number one, Paul says, keep running. 
keep running. You know, Paul has spoken hard truths to these Galatians, but he also affirms God's work in their lives, right? Verse 7, you were running well. You know, he's not saying that they're totally lost, but he's saying, hey, you, you were running well. You know, I, I see God's work in your life. I, I see how he saved you. I see how he's growing you. You were running well. You know, I, I think that's a good encouragement to us to affirm God's grace in one another's lives, to encourage one another to see how we are running well and to press one another to keep running. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. We need stamina and endurance to keep running in faith and faithfulness. And God calls us into community so that we can cheer one another on, to encourage one another to press on. Why? Because we will face opposition. Paul himself was persecuted for preaching the gospel. You know, it, it would have been tempting for Paul to avoid suffering by preaching circumcision. Right? Then the Judaizers would gladly accept him as one of their own. He would no longer face opposition or persecution from them. Right? He says in verse 11, if he were to preach circumcision, the offense of the cross would be removed. Now, the, the true gospel is offensive because the true gospel undercuts pride, self-centeredness, and self-righteousness. In contrast, the false, a false gospel panders to people. A false gospel panders to our pride by telling us that we can somehow merit God's favour through our own efforts. But the, but the true gospel would have none of that. The true gospel tells us that, no, we, we are poor, we're lost, we're helpless, we're broken sinners, and we are powerless to save ourselves. Hardly a popular message, if we think about it. Not very, you know, it doesn't really affirm the goodness of humanity, does it? The gospel tells us that we can't save ourselves, and the only hope that we have is to turn away from ourselves and to turn to the only Savior. And we will face opposition because this is why the cross is so offensive. So encouragement number two, in Christ, we have a sure hope for the future. The Christian life is difficult. There will be opposition. But because of what Christ has done for us, Paul says we can eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 5. And notice the verb that Paul uses in verse 5. Not work for the hope of righteousness, but wait for the hope of righteousness. Why? Because Christ has already accomplished that righteousness for us. And we wait for the fulfillment of that righteousness. We wait for the day of God's final declaration that we are righteous in Christ. One day we will stand before God at the great judgment, and at that great judgment, God will see us and He will publicly before all of creation, declare us righteous. And we wait for that glorious day. We, we, we are already righteous now. We wait for that grand public declaration of our righteousness. So we wait patiently. We wait trusting in Christ. And we long for this hope to be fulfilled when Jesus returns for us. And in the meantime, we wait how, Paul says in verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith in the power that the Spirit provides for us by trusting, by faith, 
in Jesus Christ. Not by works, but through the Spirit, by faith. That's how we wait. So, beloved, do not be disheartened. Though we struggle now, we struggle against weakness, we struggle against sin. Paul says we can wait with hope because of what Christ has done. And the Spirit helps us to wait with faith, joy, and patience. Encouragement number three, be confident in the Lord. Although the Galatians are in grave spiritual danger, Paul remains hopeful that they will finally do the right thing. It's not because he has uh, sort of a, a great confidence in them, but rather he says he is certain of Christ. Verse 10, I have confidence, well, not in you per se, but in the Lord, that you will take no other view. I think that's, a, that's such a wonderful reminder that when our faith is in danger of failing, Christ is the one who holds us fast, right? He is the one we are confident in. Not ourselves, not in others, but Christ. Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord. You know, beloved, it's, it's our confidence in the Lord. We trust Him. Is He our assurance? You know, Paul, Paul says that because he wants the Galatians to lean hard into Christ, to lean hard on Him. He wants us to know that Jesus is the one who will bring us safely home through many dangers, toils, and snares. So three encouragements to help us to be of good courage. We can entrust ourselves and one another to the Lord who loved us by laying down His life for us. Remember the words of our Good Shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Be confident in the Lord. Point number three, love and serve in Christ. So we've we've thought a lot about freedom. So what does it mean to be free? Does it mean we can be free to live for ourselves, satisfying our own desires, pursuing our own pleasures? Is that what freedom really means? Some understand freedom to mean freedom from responsibilities, freedom from commitments, freedom from constraints, freedom from consequences, so that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, with whomever we please. But is that freedom? Do we avoid the ditch of legalism on the one hand only to fall into the pit of permissiveness and loose living on the other hand? Or as it says in Romans 6, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Is that what freedom means? Well, yes, we need to be clear. We, We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and there's nothing we can do no amount of obedience or good works can make us right with God. You know, Paul says in 2 verse 16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says that again in verse 6 in our passage. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Neither matters to God because the only way we can be right with God is by trusting in Jesus alone. So we are saved by faith alone. Paul makes that really clear. But at the same time, Paul wants us to realize that saving faith 
is not alone. It will produce the fruit of obedience and love. That's why he says in the second half of verse 6, what matters to God is only faith working through love. You notice how those words are coming together? Faith works through love. We're saved by faith, not works, but the faith that saves works. We're saved by faith, not works, but the faith that saves works. Paul wants us to see that. The gospel does not lead to licentious freedom, but the gospel leads to works of love and obedience. Imagine three sons, three orphans, who are adopted by a loving father. The first orphan obeys because he thinks his status as a son is conditional. There's no loving relationship between him and his adoptive parents, but only fear and compliance. The second son doesn't bother to obey. He thinks, well, I'm already adopted, so now I can just enjoy the wealth that I've come into. Well, again, there is no loving relationship between him and his adopted parents. He is simply using the father to get what he wants. The third son, however, is filled with joy and thankfulness. He is amazed that his father should set his love on him. And there's a real relationship of trust. It's a real relationship of love. And he delights in his father's presence. He loves his father and he seeks to please his father, not because he's trying to earn his father's affection, but because he is certain of his father's affection. There is real relationship. So it is for God's children. We love because he first loved us. Therefore, living free is not legalism or license. It is living a life of love to God and to others. Living for ourselves is not freedom. Now, friends, living for ourselves is not freedom. Why? Because we remain slaves to our own flesh, to our sinful nature with its passions and desires. And to live in that way is not freedom. But in Christ, we are a new creation, set free from slavery to self and to sin. In Christ, we have died to ourselves. We've died to sin and we've been raised to new life. Thus, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. That's why he says in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. True freedom is not self-centered or self-serving. True freedom loves and serves others for their good. You know, th- think about this. You know, this is the wonderful paradox of Christian freedom. You know, oftentimes, when we think of freedom, we, we think individualistically, like, this is good for me. But Paul here turns that around. He says, true freedom is actually good for others. True freedom means dying to myself in Christ so that I can be truly free to love and serve those around me. That's the paradox of Christian freedom. 
we are truly free when we are slaves to Christ. You know, the, the more we give ourselves away to Him, the more freedom we love, the more freedom, love, and joy we experience. Do you trust Him enough to do that? Do you trust Him to give yourself to Him completely? Because He promises you freedom. He promises you joy and peace if you give yourself to Him completely, holding nothing back. That, friend, is true freedom. You know, imagine you're holding a little bird in your hand. Right? It's, somehow it's gotten there. <laughs> Just imagine that you're holding a little bird in your hand. You know, think of it. The, the, more, the more tightly you grasp that bird, what happens? You probably crush it, right? You probably kill it. The more, the more you want to hold on to it tightly, the more firmly you grip it, the, the more you're probably going to harm it or maybe even kill it. But if you hold on to it loosely, it enjoys freedom. Right? It comes and goes, real freedom. And so it is with us. The, the more we refuse to die to ourselves, the, the more we cling on to living lives for ourselves, making it all about us, I think the less freedom we have. But the more we give ourselves to Christ, that is true freedom. John Stott said it well. What's freedom? He said, freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly for God and for others. And Paul says, because we have been set free in Christ, we have been set free from self, we can serve others with humility and self-forgetfulness genuinely seeking their good and putting their interests first. You know, because we are already safe in Christ, we're not doing this to earn anything. Right? We're not doing this because somehow there's this ulterior motive of trying to earn God's approval. So I serve you so that I can sort of look better to God. No, if we are free in Christ, there is no ulterior motive. I serve you for you because I am secure in Christ. That's the freedom that Paul says we have in the gospel, the freedom to serve with complete self-forgetfulness. The gospel gives us freedom to serve. Freedom in Christ keeps us from making it about us. And if we don't make it about us, then that's true freedom, isn't it? I can serve you and you can serve others simply because Christ has made you free. That's the beauty of gospel freedom. Hence, liberty is not lawless. The gospel is not anti-law. Believing the gospel leads to love, which fulfills the law. Verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this, is why, this is one reason why the church is so important because this is the place, the church is the place where we practice our gospel freedom. This is where we live free among God's people as we love and serve one another. You know, friend, if you're not committed to the local church, if you call yourself a Christian and you're not committed to the local church, where are you living free? Where are you practicing the gospel freedom of loving and serving others? Uh, this is why we gather together as God's people so that we can put our gospel freedom into real practice. How? By loving and serving one another. 
in the freedom that Christ has given us. So if you're not committed to the local church, if you're, if you're a Christian, but you're not in a local church, can I encourage you to be in a local church where you can practice your gospel freedom in this way? God has saved us into his community that we might live out our new lives. How? By loving and serving one another. That's how we live out our freedom in Christ. And he says in verse 15, conversely, if we bite and devour one another, it shows we either do not understand the gospel or perhaps we have not obeyed the gospel at all. Beloved, if we are in Christ, then let us walk in his footsteps. The Son of God is truly free, yet he humbled himself to come as a servant. Therefore, let us live free in Christ by loving and serving one another. You know, this being Reformation Sunday, it, it's apt to quote Martin Luther, as good Protestants do. Right, he says, A Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. I think he gets it right. That's what it means to be free in Christ. Now, we began the sermon with the song from Les Miserables, sung by angry men who will not be slaves again. But the good news for us, beloved, is that we sing a much better song. And we don't sing as angry men and women. I hope not. <laughs> but we sing as men and women who are grateful, who are joyful, who are redeemed, because Christ has made us free. We sing not in anger, but in praise, in thankfulness and love. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed for the freedom that we have in Christ. And Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts powerfully by your gospel. Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts to you, that we would trust you and in Christ alone. Oh, Father, work in us for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.